We are wrapping up a series today. We've been in a series uh, based on the book, The Cure, uh, written by John Lynch. We're calling our series, Grace is the Cure. And, and if you were here last week, Kevin Butcher was our guest. Wasn't that an amazing message? Those of you that were here, so good. Apparently a bunch of you missed it. Um, and you won't be able to listen to the original version because uh, we had a little malfunction in the recording, but, but there was another church that he had done a similar message at, so they allowed us to steal their podcast. So you can still listen. In fact, I would encourage you, even if you were here last week, to listen to that uh, one again. By the way, Gary, are we recording this today? We're... Oh, good, man. Thank you, sir. Thank you. <laughs> um, well, one of the verses that Kevin mentioned that, that has just been sticking with me uh, all week was from 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, and I've been thinking about this verse in the context of the series that we are wrapping up today, and the verse reads uh, like this. It says, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Now, I'd heard that verse, of course, many times, but what I hadn't known before or seen before, which Kevin um, touched on and, and revealed was this, that the Greek word here translated covers over that can also be translated as heals. So we can read the verse like this. Above all else, love each other deeply because love heals a multitude of sins. Isn't that beautiful? Love heals sins done by you, sins done to you. And God's plan is that you and I would receive his love and, and that we would let his love flow through us and then through our love to one another, our hearts get healed. I mean, I just think that's amazing that, that Jesus' intention for his church is that we would love one another and that our hearts would experience healing in the process of doing that together. I mean, wouldn't that be something to see actually happen, right? To see the wounds, the hurts, the, the arrows that we have taken in our lives, to see that stuff get healed little by little, Rarely instantly, but, 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 but gradually healed. See, I think that would be amazing grace, wouldn't it? And I know that there are, there are those of you here this morning who could tell those kinds of stories in your life where you experienced that, where, where your life was changed by the love of God that flowed to you through other people, which brought you into relationship with God, and you began to find healing for your heart, for your soul. I mean, that's a big part of my own story of God's love flowing through other people at different times, bringing different depths of healing into my own heart, both from the things that I had done and things done to me. And God continues to work that way in my life to, to slowly heal me. And if you've heard Heidi's story, my wife Heidi's story, um, hers is very, very much in that vein. Back when she was uh, a 34-year-old, recently divorced, single mom who had endure, endured years of hurt and readily admits that in her pain had made choices that caused uh, hurt in return. But then she met people who loved Jesus and told her about Jesus and they cared about her. She would tell you that Jesus then began to heal her heart. And more than a decade later, we talked about this, and she would say that, that Jesus continues to heal her heart, and that oftentimes he brings his healing through other people. See, because love heals a multitude of sins, of wounds, of pain, and that's how God designed it. So with all that truth kind of swimming around my head this week, along with this quote from 
This week's chapter in our final week of our all-church focus on the book, The Cure, uh, this quote also was swimming, and um, it reads, what if it was less important that anything ever gets fixed than that nothing has to be hidden? And I have just um, been glad that we get to talk about this today, and, and I kind of rephrased this a little bit too, just even expounded a little bit, said, well, what, so what's more important? What, what's more important? Spending our energy trying to fix people or spending our energy being the kind of church where people are loved and people feel like they don't have to hide? It might seem maybe like an odd question, right? I mean, think about it this way. When, when we are trying to just fix people, when we f- do that, we're focusing on their behaviors, And, sadly, we think that we're being helpful, and then when that person that we think we're helping or fixing can't meet our expectations or our demands on them, then the relationship quickly goes south. Because in the end, if I think it's my job to fix others, I have to kind of look at my own motives as well. What does that say about me? Sometimes I have to admit, while I'm kind of worried that their behavior somehow negatively reflects on me, makes me look bad. And if that's the case for us, then we try to micromanage the lives of other people until we have made them in our image, right? We might label it something really spiritual, like, oh, this is real discipleship. Oh, no, we're pursuing holiness, right? But, but honestly, if my sense of being okay is tied to fixing you, then I get caught up in this religious performance game, and then I'm pulling you into that exhausting game as well. And if that sounds far-fetched to you, I've seen subtle versions and obvious versions of this far too often. I mean, I confess that years ago, as a young pastor, I can admit that I did that in some ways to people, thinking it was my job as a pastor to fix people. Uh, I have a guy who was a friend of mine. He's a pastor in the area who had wanted me to team up with him, um, but he really thinks his job as a pastor, like that's in the job description to, to fix people, to point out their stuff, their sin, make sure they know all about it. But in light of this quote, which if you want to go deeper in it, uh, read more in the chapter, um, is, is it more important for us as a church, do we want to try, are we trying to fix people, or are we trying to make sure that people don't have to hide? Because we drive people into hiddenness, and nothing gets better in the dark. Nothing gets better in the dark. And we pressure people, that's where they go, Right? Now, over this last six weeks, we've, we've been describing what it looks like to actually live in grace. We've been talking about what it, what it looks like to trust that we are who God actually says that we are. We've been learning about putting off religious striving and instead receiving the love and grace of this, this Jesus who is wildly, passionately in love with you. And we've been talking about what it means to not just be saved by grace, which is how we come to God, through his grace. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. He gives it to us, right? But we don't just come to God that way to begin our relationship. We continue to live our lives then in grace. A walk with God, a relationship that's free from striving, free from believing that we need to work hard to try to earn God's approval somehow. We, we can live in grace and be free from the oppressive lies that we so often believe that, hey, listen, you know, God is just disgusted with you. He can't believe what a failure you are. And, and God rejects you when you sin or struggle. We've been learning that those are lies and to step into the truth. In fact, the word gospel, as, as many of you probably know, the word gospel means good news. So what if we actually believe that the good news is even better than we first imagined? 
that, that although um, we still struggle with sin after we become Christians, even though that still happens, God still sees us as his beloved as his children who he'll never reject, that God declares us to be righteous even on our worst day. What if we could dare to believe that the truest thing about you and I when we come to Christ is that now we have a new heart, a new identity, that God declares us to actually be saints, not just save sinners who better buck up and get it all together because you, you just better strive harder because after all Jesus did for you, 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 better, you better appreciate it. See, if we would actually dare to repent and believe that the gospel is true, we would have to lean into and trust the grace that God continuously lavishes on us. See, and in a church like that, and in relationships like that, I believe that we'd find enough patience and grace for each other. We, we would realize, instead of trying to fix each other, hey, this takes time. It's maturing into who we are, right? It takes time to mature. So instead of trying to fix people, which actually causes them to hide their brokenness, instead of fixing we'd let them see, hey, you know what? There's no need for you to hide. Because in places like that, where there's no need to hide, I am confident, and I have seen this, that we would begin to be healed by love and grace. See, and that's how grace changes how we relate to each other which is what we're going to talk about today, how grace changes the way we relate to one another. Now, over this series, and actually back into the series we did on David, we've been calling living this way, we've been calling it walking in the light. I'm going to give you the Doug Lynn Amplified version here. The NIV will be up on the screen here. But I'm going to unpack it as we read this verse here. It says, This is the message, says John, that we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, which means there's no illusion, there's no pretense, there's no shifting shadows with God, there's no hiding from God. He just doesn't play that game. Verse 6, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, and we have come to understand that walking in darkness means for us to hide, to wear a mask, to pretend, to pose, we do that, then we lie. And by the way, what we're lying about is this. We're lying about saying that we really trust God with our whole life. If we're just trying to cover and hide all the time, then we're not trusting God in this, right? But if we walk in the light, it says, and again, walking in the light, we've called living open-faced with God, that being our posture of life, being honest with our brokenness, not hiding anything. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of his son cleanses us from all sin. Now, we have read through this passage several times, but one of the things we haven't really unpacked is this. This passage here claims that by walking in the light, we will now have fellowship with one another. Now, let me say it this way. Um, by walking in the light, you just might make some new friends, like real friends, authentic friends, maybe friends actually worth having because you don't have to hide because you're in the light together. You know, Christian relationships are not supposed to be places where you try to control and fix each other. Relationships in the body of Christ 
are intended to be places where we live in the light of what is real and true, the good, bad, and ugly. They're relationships where I don't have to hide anymore. Relationships where I can confess my brokenness and where the love of God and God's people can bring cleansing and healing to my heart. But how many of you understand um, that to do that, to live that way, we'd have to take a risk? Because sometimes, maybe you haven't experienced this, but sometimes people who call themselves Christians are not very Christ-like. Anyone? Is this just me? Okay. okay, I'm not alone in this, good. Um, you know, we've experienced that, right? Christians who are marrying, wearing a mask in their kind of religious pose, right? Christians who are supposed to be loving deeply, but instead are destructive, self-righteous, judgmental, condemning. By the way, those folks are actually walking in the dark. That's what that would be, to, to live that way. See, because for us, if we decide to walk in the light of what is true about our own sin or our own brokenness, walking in the light is an absolute cure for self-righteous, judgmental, condemning spirits. Because what happens when we walk in the light and we're real about this is that humility and mercy begin to be formed and shaped in our hearts. Here's how you can identify people like that that are, that are safe, right? That are living open-faced with God about their own stuff. Um, one of the ways you can tell is they're not the ones that are busy and really quick to shine lights on everybody else to try to fix everybody else, right? Now, people who are living in the light, you know, owning their own stuff, they, they still do speak the truth about sin, Right? They don't avoid it. We don't avoid it. Um, we're not naive. Um, we do speak the truth in love. We do that, right? And we do that because, not because we're trying to like, be the police for everybody, but we do that because living in the light shapes us. It, it forms us. It, it works in us and actually softens us to make us more gentle and merciful. Right? We don't get more gentle or merciful because we're trying really hard to be gentle because God says I better be gentle, so I'm just going to white-knuckle this, right? right? No, no. if we're walking in the light, in humility, owning our stuff, gentleness gets formed in you. It's one of the results of walking and living that way. So, so don't spend all your energy trying to you know, look gentle, right? Walk in the light, and it will happen, the life of God will show through you. Your true identity, who he says we are, that will show. And then when we walk in the light and speak the truth, we can actually speak the truth in what? Love. Dave Johnson, again, who's coming um, next week for five weeks with us, and he'll preach a couple times here, but... Um, I quote Dave a lot, right? Um, here's something Dave says about that. Dave says, I have come to believe that this is true. One of the surest signs that someone's not walking in the light, in other words, not dealing honestly with their own stuff, one of the surest signs, he says, is that they are constantly upset about everybody else's stuff. They're just tracking everybody else down. Dave says, I mean, I almost feel sorry for him because it's like they're wearing a sign that says, I am not doing my own stuff, right? And when we're constantly looking at them and everyone else, we're looking out there, it's one of the clearest signs that we're not looking in here. He says, let me say it this way, one of the easiest ways to never have to look in here 
is by looking out there. Just fix everybody else. Just spend all your attention and, and effort on, on everybody else, right? By the way, I do think it's going to be funny. I wonder if I will be quoting Dave with him sitting in you know, the front row or something. And he'll be like, did I really say that? Yeah, so we'll keep an eye on that. <clears throat> um, Dallas Willard has a really great teaching about this whole kind of uh, shifting shadows and blaming and looking to other people and avoiding living in the lights. And um, it's out of Matthew 7, um, where Jesus is confronting those of us who judge. You've probably heard this verse, maybe not all the verses with it, but Matthew 7, verse 1 says, Judge not lest you be judged. Now, Dallas Willard clarifies that to judge not, it doesn't mean that you abandon discernment. Like some people would say that in our culture, right? Well, if we're going to judge not, then we abandon discernment and nothing is right or wrong, right? But that's not what Jesus is saying here when he says judge not. Discernment is vital, right? So to discern what things are harmful or good, that's vital, But, he says, we have to remember that discernment can't be condemning. It can't be condemning. Now, he gives this great example of of what discernment without condemnation looks like. Um, Let's say that you're going to a dentist, right? Bob or Monika, they have a little baby, so I would be surprised if they're in the room right here. But I was going to pick on Bob, but he's not here. All right. Um, if, if, If you went to the dentist and the dentist says to you, Uh, You've got some decay and you need a filling. He or she is not being condemning, right? They're being discerning, right? It's the huge difference. And discernment about stuff like that, it's vitally important, right? I mean, what kind of of dentist would that person be if they didn't see your cavity? Oh, we did the examination, but we just missed that huge gap right there, right? Or, or, Or even worse, if they did see it and just didn't want to tell you the truth about it. You know, oh, I just don't want to hurt your feelings, so I just, we'll ignore that cavity, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I think I'd go find another dentist, right? Anybody with me on that? Okay. So we want them to um, discern without condemnation because, on the other hand, let's say you did go to a dentist. They saw that cavity and said, holy crap, what kind of disgusting human being lets their teeth get this way, right? <laughs> That'd be a whole new ball game. That would be condemning. So, oh, same thing happens sometimes with, with Christians. If someone is mature... They'll discern. They don't point out your sin and try to suppress a grin. Their eyes don't light up because, oh, hey, check me out. My gift of discernment's real. I can spot your stuff, right? So here's the deal. To discern is a vital function of kingdom community, and we need to be willing to deal with sin, and we do that because it's destructive, right? Sin, according to Scripture, it steals, kills, and destroys, so... Yeah, we we call sin, sin, but we have to do that without rejecting the person. That's what's crucial. To do that without rejecting them requires great care and skill. And maybe the million-dollar question is, okay, then how? How do we do that with skill? I think Jesus helps us answer that in verses 3 through 5 here. We keep reading. It says, uh, judge not, right? And then he says this in verse 3. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye and do not notice the log in your own? How can you say to your brother, here, let me take the speck out of your eye, right? Hey, I'm going to be helpful. I'm going to do your stuff. I'm going to do your life, right? Jesus says, how can you take the speck or the sin out of their life when you have a log in your own? You 
hypocrite. Oh, wow, sounds like Jesus has a little bit of a problem with people who hide. Okay? Jesus says, first, take the log out of your eye, and then you can clearly take the speck out of the other's eye. Now, seems pretty obvious, right? How would it help, right? If I take the log out of my eye, oh, now I can see. This would be important. Now, now I can see. I had a perception problem. Couldn't see clearly because I had a log in my eye. I mean, even say this in the language of, of this walking in the light and walking in the dark. Um, we'd probably say it this way. Um, if you're not honestly dealing with what is true and what is in your eye and your life, if you're not bringing into the dark what you are hiding or even just tempted to hide, then we'll never be able to see clearly to help someone with what's going on in their life. Like, we might think we see clearly. We might be pretty sure, right? We might just kind of, we'll just wade right in. We'll call it righteous indignation. We got all sorts of energy to correct and confront everybody else. And we're convinced that we're right when we do it. But more often than not, instead of removing the speck, which might not even be there or need to be removed, instead of removing the speck, we like, we poke out their eye. So I think it's important to do life with safe people, right? I mean, I don't want to be poking anybody else's eye out, and I don't want any of you poking my eye out. So we need to be safe people. We need to be able to recognize and pick safe people. So let me tell you one way to identify safe people. Safe people are the people who are themselves bringing into the light what they have been hiding in the dark. That's who's actually safe. Safe person is not the person who wears the mask of pious, perfect Christian. See, the log in Jesus' analogy here in Matthew 7, the log is a judgmental, self-righteous, condemning spirit. And people that have that approach, that spirit, are almost always people who have never had significant levels of what they are hiding in the dark brought into the light. So they get blind to their self-righteous pride. They are useless for ministry. And the scary part is they are far too often found in ministry. Pastoring, leading Bible studies, theology studies, or, or worse, seeing themselves as mentors who think they can just fix everyone else. But the sad part of this is, the truth is, that they are incapable of bringing authentic healing to people because it's not done through love that heals the sin, covers the sin. It's done through their own stuff, their own need to fix, and so they do great damage. Now, if you know someone like this, maybe somebody's even come to mind, you just kind of run away from them, right? Like if you've got something going on and you think they're coming after you, like I would even see a fear that would kind of rise up when I think that they're coming to think that they want to help me because um, I know that I'm not going to get help for the speck in my eye. I'm just going to get clubbed. I'm just going to get run over. And if we had people like that around here or, or someone like the pastor that I mentioned earlier, what I wish I could do is just take them aside and gently say, hey, if you act like this, healthy people probably run away from you. And now you'd know why, Right? Like, the reason people run away from you, you thought it was, they're rejecting what I say because they don't take sin as seriously as I do. <laughs> but no, no. People hate the speck in their eye. It hurts. 
but they're just tired of being clubbed by you. And so I would say to them what I have to say to myself all the time, please, do your own stuff first. I mean, I'm guessing that probably some of us, most of us, are even thinking of someone like that, right? Um, you don't have to show your hand, especially if they're sitting by you. But, uh, um, you know, you can just send them the podcast link for this week. Just kidding. Don't resist that temptation. Okay. So that's that one side. But let's paint a different scenario. Instead of that person with the log not dealing with their stuff, what about a different kind of person? Uh, imagine, imagine a person who's walking in the light, who is living open-faced before God. Like, I hope that you know some people like this, but, but if you don't, um, just, just imagine someone like this. I mean, I, I just off the top of my head, I think of Mark Sullivan. Uh, he's somebody like this. He walks in the light. Uh, Will Devon, one of our elders, and, and his wife, Yvonne, they live this way. My wife, Heidi, um, many of my friends that are in recovery, they just live this way. The, the last two speakers we had, my friend Jim Lane from two weeks ago, Jim lives this way. Kevin, you know from last week, he lives this way. Um, lots of the leaders here at Hope, they live this way. But, but think of someone who, who knows, right? They know what it feels like to have a speck in their own eye and to be blinded by it. They're like, how can I get this out? I, I just, I can't get it out myself. Maybe, maybe they're even someone who knows what it feels like to have a log in their own eye, where they can look back like I can at a time in my life where my biggest problem was that I was just so full of pride and I was sure that I knew everybody else's problems. You know, when we act like that, we think that our, our spiritual gift is to shine this big spotlight on everyone else. And when we do that, right, we stand behind the spotlight. They're blinded and they can't see our stuff. We're just deflecting. We're hiding. But, but imagine someone like that, but now... They're walking in the light. Someone, someone who, who maybe even just a few weeks ago began to pray the simple prayer of humility. And the prayer might have sounded something like this. Lord, help me bring into the light what I'm hiding in the dark. God, help me to see what I don't see. Help me to confess what I'd rather deny. Lord, will you shine your light of truth on what is real and true about me? And guess what? When we pray that prayer, God will begin to do it in you. I promise you, he will begin to do it. And when God answered that prayer in my life, he did it gently, but relentlessly. Um, saying things like, Doug, Doug, okay, Doug, you need to look at this. You need to confess that. You need to go and apologize to that person. You, you need to go and tell this guy the truth about what kinds of stuff you did that you veiled there, that, you know, that truth management thing you did? Yeah, that was a lie. Um, or, Doug, you need to see the truth about this thing you'd rather ignore because that thing is damaging your relationships. It's gentle, but it isn't easy stuff. It's because every time the light shines on stuff in my own life, there can be fear. It's pretty normal, right? Like if the light shines on something in your life, you go, whoa, 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 whoa. If I look at that area of my life, if I get honest about that, oh man, that's going to cost me something. I better keep that hidden. Because um, what, what are people going to think? What will they say? What will, what will they do? I mean, that would be embarrassing if I brought that out into the light. 
but your heart wants to be connected to God. Your heart wants to walk in the light. And so eventually you get sick of hiding in the dark and you come to this place where I've been so many times where I just go, you know what, I don't care anymore. I don't care about what anybody else thinks. I want to walk in the light. So we set aside our fear and we decide that we're finally going to trust God's way of living in the light. And we decide we're going to trust him enough to step into and do this. And I'll tell you from experience, when you press through that awful hesitation and place of fear and you do it and begin to walk in the light, sometimes there's a massive mess that you have to clean up from things that you have done and there's some stuff that you got to take care of. But when you do it, this flood of grace comes, followed by measures of healing. And as the scripture says, cleansing, right? You get free when you walk in the light. And as we continue to live that way and cooperate with God about what the light reveals, then the fruit that we see in those people is we start to see mercy and gentleness. They just are on display because when folks like that step into the light, the Jesus in them shines through them and other people begin to experience their grace and their love. People begin to trust folks that are being honest. People are even drawn toward them because they want to live that way too. So imagine that person living that way and imagine you're somebody that has a speck in your eye and someone like that comes to help you remove the speck from your eye. Question, how, how would they do it? Like, I think they would do it gently. I mean, I even picture like the corner of a proverbial handkerchief, right? They're carefully lifting the speck, barely touching the corner of the eye, and it's gone. So I promise you that if you begin to walk in the light, that if you begin to bring into the light what you've been hiding in the dark, I know that God will shape you into a more gentle person. Your honesty, your humility will result in more mercy for others. And you will begin to, to minister grace to other people. You will, be, you will be the agent of the healing of many others. That's what happens when we live in the light. Last point, I want to talk about, imagine now that we as a community would do that, right? Just imagine that God would move even more so through the people of hope, many of us who already embrace this way of living, but now we're specifically describing it, talking about it out loud, and we did it together, what would happen then? See, this whole message sparked again by that first John passage, which says, if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we will have fellowship with one another, right? It says, if we... There's a key word, this we thing. This is a corporate thing. When we walk in the light, we will have fellowship. We will have connectedness with other people who are walking in the light. So, so, so if we're doing our lives in this way where I'm not the only one and you're doing it too, and you and you and you and you and you, here's the promise out of the scripture here. It says that we will have fellowship with one another. We're not alone. It's not just me. It's we Right? So, so you begin to bring into the light what you've been hiding in the dark, and you're going to find some new friends. 
And these new friends will be people who desire to live the same way, to come out of hiding and into the reality of what is true about life and about them. And here's the deal. Maybe the only way that I can even talk about this is to to paint this picture of, of, of the dream for us. In fact, this is God's dream for his community. God's dream for his kingdom community is simply this, that, that I'm not the only one and neither are you. We are the ones trying to come out of the darkness and into walking in the light. And you're doing it and you're doing it and you're doing it and you and you and so many others, right? All of us begin to come out of hiding. We do it together. And again, when we do that, it says we will have fellowship, real relationships with one another, no longer based on phony smiles that mask what's really going on. No, but, but coming into the light together, we begin to have an intimacy and a relationship. We begin to have authentic, God-centered community, grace-centered community. And if you're not the only one trying to come out of hiding and live in the light, but, but your friends are, and, and your wife is too, and your husband is, or, or your kids are, you're going to begin experiencing life even more fully than you ever dreamed. You will be living in the realm of grace. Because if you're not the only one, you discover real quickly, when the light shines and you see hard stuff and you are willing to say it out loud, someone else goes, yeah, me too. You discover you're not alone, right? All of a sudden, this starts to feel even more safe. Confidence begins to grow to, to come out even more so into the light. And before we know it, we don't even have to know the theology about this, but we're walking in the light. We're finding freedom. We're feeling clean. We're not pretending anymore about anything, and we're experiencing authentic community. We're feeling connected. And not just because, you know, we joined a small group, which is important, right? No, no, it's because of what happens in the small group that this stuff is happening together. I mean, have you, have you ever described what I'm, or experienced what I'm describing, in, in, maybe in a group or a group of friends or with folks closer to you? Have you ever experienced that? Because I know some of you have, um, and maybe some of you haven't. I'm going to assume that on some level, whether in a family or with a friend or maybe in a recovery group or in AA um, or some kind of small group or Bible study, you've experienced that. And if you've experienced that, I think it often looks a little bit like this, right? You're in this, you know, let's call it a, a book study or something, and, and it's really good, and you're hanging out with people you like, you've got something in common, you're feeling kind of safe, but one day, one day, instead of just saying the right thing, the guy or the gal across from you, that, that guy says the real thing. Not just the right thing, but he says the, the real thing. This time, they come out with something they'd been struggling with that nobody had known about, that they were afraid to talk about. And it's pretty normal that somebody says that and we get a little uncomfortable, right? Uh-oh, Right? And by the way, I'm not talking about people who are trying to turn every group into being all about them. Like, that's a whole different issue. It keeps other people from coming into the light, okay? That's a whole different deal. I'm talking about when, when people get real and, and have some connection and they risk stepping into the light, even when it's awkward at first. Um, we, we, we've had that happen at many points in our uh, Discover groups this past month where we start to say a little bit more, a little more what's real. We share our hearts a little more. 
And maybe the first time, some of the folks in the room were uncomfortable a little bit. But what it does is it gives everyone hope. Wow, if, if maybe they can say that, maybe, maybe I can too. If they can be real like that, maybe, maybe I can too. And in groups like that, especially over time, one person says what's real and then another and then another and over time more and more. And they don't just say what's right. They're not just looking for the right answer. It's not just about what's right. They start to say what's real. And you know what people experience in groups like that? They start feeling freedom. They start to experience healing. They start to feel clean. They, they experience grace firsthand. They experience acceptance, community, belonging. See, that's walking in the light and what it does. But walking in the darkness, I mean, it just cuts us off from, from experiencing God. It cuts us off from real relationships with people. It, cuts us, it really it cuts us off from our own selves living in the dark does. See, because walking in the light is the only chance we have of breaking through our isolation to have authentic relationship with other people in this powerful reality of God's presence in our life to love one another. So let me make you promise. If what I just said, all in that stuff there, if that's true about you, about walking in the light and you want to do it and it's true about us and we want to do it, we want to walk in the light, then the promise, verse 7 again, is if we begin to walk in the light, we will have fellowship with one another. Again, if I do it myself, it's not going to happen. If you do it yourself, it's not going to happen. But if we get on the outside what's been going on in here, we actually begin to experience more and more community, intimacy, relationship. We will taste what God intended through relationship when he created us. You will feel it. You will experience it. It will be more than just the theology we know in our head. You will be living out the kingdom life. So take all this back to the opening question as we wrap up. What if it was less important than anything that anything ever gets fixed and that nothing has to be hidden? See, in an environment of grace where we're walking in the light together as a community, where, where above all else we love each other deeply, realizing and knowing that love heals a multitude of sins. I mean, friends, can you imagine? Won't that be something to see the wounds, the hurts, the arrows that we have taken and the arrows the people around us have taken to see that stuff begin to get healed? Little by little, rarely instantly, but gradually healed. And that's the fruit of us, Hope family, walking in the light together. There's no reason to hide being a place where we love each other and the world around us deeply. And in that place, our hearts get healed. See, Hope family, that's how Jesus intends to grow and mature us. Because grace, my friends, grace is the cure. Worship team, will you come? As the worship team comes, I want you to think of an area. 
Don't worry, we're not doing public confession. It's okay. You can be real just between you and God right now. Just think of an area in your own life. And it's probably the first one jumping in your mind that you're scared to death of. But think of that area where you need to come into the light. You need to step into the light. I'm going to ask you to pray with me. Just hold that thing in your heart and your mind, even if you're very afraid. (laughs) Just hold that honestly before you and God right now. I'm going to pray over us, and you can pray silently with me about that thing. Lord, help me to bring into the light what I'm hiding in the dark. God, help me see what I don't see. Help me confess what I'd rather deny. God, shine the light of your truth on what is real about me. Give me courage to say not the right thing, but the real thing. God, let me be a safe person. Let me be honest about my own stuff. I pray that others would experience your love through me as tenderness towards them in their brokenness. God, I ask that as I come out of hiding, that those around me would come out of their hiding too.